Welcome to Life of the School, episode 25. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode on Life at the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how'd they get into the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with Mark Peterson. Mark is a teacher at Benilde St. Margaret School in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Mark is a teacher who is active in a variety of teacher communities and is always looking to infuse engagement and fun into his classrooms, including using a flipped classroom model, adopting standards-based grading, and using song parodies as part of his teaching. His work using technology as part of his instruction led Mark to be recognized as a Kaizena champion within the state of Minnesota. Uh, Mark serves as the Minnesota Science Teachers Association Biology Director and presented at the MN. STA Conference on Science Education about standard-based grading assessment strategies and student-centered questioning. You can follow his musings about life and, and teaching on Twitter at Dassel, D-A-S-S-E-L. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Aaron. It's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, great. I was telling the story that, um, you know, I was, uh, we're in the last couple of days. You Did you just finish classes? Uh, you were done? Friday. You're, he's Friday. done Friday, yeah. so I got a. So this will come out in my last week of class. So you will have been out for a week, and then I will be in my week of finals and that like weird half day where kids come back right. and we show them the finals. We'll be having that day that week. Um, so that's when this is going to come out. So we've got another, you know, for me, almost two weeks left. But um, just a couple weeks ago, I was looking on uh, on Twitter, and you know, uh, former uh, former guest of the of the pod, Chris Baker, was on posting something at Flipgrid. I was like, Flipgrid? What's right. Chris What's Chris working on? And and then like two days later, you had a picture up and all your kids are on there. And I'm like, oh God, it's another thing that I don't know about. <laughs> Thank God there's Twitter so I can learn about yeah. these pieces. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure we'll get into some of the some of the toys and techniques that uh, you've been working on. Um, the other thing I did this week uh, was I went back and I listened to um, our good old friends at Horizontal Transfer, uh, I think it was episode 60, oh gosh, it was 62 or 63, where you were the feature <laughs> Patreon patron. Uh, so I got to go back and listen to, to that. It was good. It was a 36-minute episode on uh, Nature of Science. So yeah, I may have to go back and just like go back and through their back catalog uh, just to listen you know, to this. I, I, since, they went, since they went dead on the air, I have, there have been times I'm like, oh man, I just need a fix. I need to listen to Paul and Dave. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to, dial them in and just listen for a while because i you know i just have enjoyed their conversations uh and and i just i just miss that really honestly it's been good yeah to go back and once in a while like oh yeah yeah what did chi have to say about this or (laughs) something like that so yeah yeah i get to go see chi in two weeks so i'm going down to her uh her she's running one of the or she's one of the uh leads on one of the nabt uh ap workshops down in florida so that's what i'm doing in just a couple weeks so That'll cool. be great. All right, so cool. let's uh, we could banter all day long and talk about horizontal transfer and have our little yeah. uh, wake for their uh, their podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's let's jump into my first question, which is, uh, how did you become a science teacher? What got you into the classroom? Well, I think it started probably with my uh, my parents. Uh, my mom was a registered nurse, and so um, you know she was always talking about medical stuff. 
I don't think I had any interest in, no, I, I know I never had an interest in becoming a physician because I really don't like sick people. Uh, and so I, I think you kind of have to have a calling for that. However, my dad was a, uh, um, was a World War II veteran, uh, grew up in the middle of Iowa, and he was a naturalist. I mean, he was a farmer. Uh, this is what my dad was at, at heart. Uh, Post-World War II, he somehow got into the agribusiness banking um, end of things, uh, but still growing up in the 60s and the 70s, we spent a lot of time tramping through the woods. Uh, Dad always seemed to know a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, and uh, that I think, you know, just the, the the wonder and awe of nature, I think Dad really inspired me with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really, I, I, I key in on those two people. I also had a seventh grade uh, science teacher, Sister Juanita was her name. And with her, it was not necessarily about content, but it was always about questions. We always had questions and we always had discussions, not necessarily that we came to a final answer, but we really mirrored the nature of science in the way that we approach things. And so that's always just kind of stuck in my mind. Um, I don't know. I, originally, if you'd asked me in high school, I would have said, I'm going to be a choir teacher. Uh, so I think I've just always been called uh, to that. But for sure, my my dad in particular um, in the way that he uh, instructed me, you know, I, I learned a lot about ecology from tramping through marshes uh, and watching muskrats. Um, you know, I, I live trapped those when I was in high school to pay for gas. Uh, but I learned about populations when populations of muskrats are high, the, the, the water level in ponds can vary quite a bit. And, and so just, you know, that model was uh has just always been present uh for me now you've been in the classroom a while <laughs> <laughs> i've been in the classroom i started teaching uh in 1985 yeah so yes i've been in the classroom 32 years which is kind of crazy to think about really yeah you are uh you know because you are uh, as i said you're very active in twitter you're very active in you know online communities and stuff like that um uh, you were, I will say, you know, when I do my internet stalking for episodes, um, I was surprised by how seasoned a veteran you are. Uh, I guess that's the, be the nice, <laughs> the nice way of putting it, because, you know, you, you seem, you know, not to say that I'm not as the kids don't look at me and think of me as old as everybody else, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you're yeah. Ten, 10 years out of college, you're old. So for sure. You know, so I started teaching, um, in 1985, uh, and you're when you're teaching seniors and you're 25 years old, so I was 25 at that time, you're not that far removed from them. Uh, now I actually have uh, students of my students in my classroom. Um, and, I, and my mantra has kind of always been with regards to that, you know, growing, growing old is required, but growing up is optional. <laughs> and so I, I firmly embrace that. Uh, I'm always... You know, sometimes the kids like you can see my hair is close, closely cropped. And so like, how old are you, Mr. Peterson? And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, 57. And they're like, you are not. And right there, your grade just went up, you know. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, they, they have a hard time pegging. As I said, once you get like 10 years out of college, they kind of sort yeah. of, or maybe even like more than five years teaching, it might even be that. Just yeah. like they, they have no idea how old you are. Um, but right. yeah. I, and you, you, like you said, you're once you're over 30, you're just really, you're ancient. Yeah. You're a fossil. Yeah. Yeah, I was ha- I was having a conversation. I, th- I think I said this on one of the other episodes. So I teach in an alternative program. Um, and so in the alternative program, these are kids who have a really hard time getting through the school day, sort of traditional yeah. school day. And um, it's a pretty loose environment in there. Usually we got pretty low numbers. And our current special education assistant is uh, who's in there is a is a graduate is a graduate of our high school. And she probably okay. graduated back. 2005, 2006, you know, so she's not, you know, maybe even a couple of years older, but I was teaching in the school back then and had been for several uh-huh. years and, and knew her cohort. And we were joking around and talking about some of the, some of the kids she had in class, you know, some of her friends from, from class and the conversation, like one of the kids caught part of it and they're like, so were you a student then? Like they couldn't for the life of them figure out where I fit in to like, how did I know all these kids that she was talking about that her friends, was I a student there at the time? I could have been a teacher. Was I? Te- I mean, I've been teaching it for ten years at that point, but they had no idea. Right, right, yeah. So there's a there's a, a couple of people on staff at uh, at Benilde St. Margaret's that uh, were in my uh, biology classroom back in the late '80s, and they're like, "No way, Mrs. Sauer was in your class." There's there's no way, and they start doing the numbers, and they're like, "How old were you?" And it's a it's it, it's it lends itself occasion to some light moments for sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, this is, this is kind of a lead. I'm going to probably transition a little bit. So, I mean, obviously 1985, um, you know, <laughs> there's no internet, um, <laughs> you know, there's no YouTube, uh, there's no, there's no Paul Anderson Bozeman biology. Um, so nope. I, I guess, you know, uh, for me, when I look at you as one of the, you know, major adopters of technology, um, you're actually perfect for this, uh, this question about a flipped classroom. Um, so, uh, you know, when I look at your biography, I see you, you are one of those flipped classroom teachers. You're, you're big on that, but what does that mean to you when you, when you hear the term flipped cl- classroom, what does that mean to you, especially with the context of your experience teaching? Okay. Let's go. So I am old. I admit that. So let's, <laughs> if you go back to 1985 and when I started teaching, um, we had, uh, in the biology classroom, you had uh, BSCS textbooks. Mm-hmm. You had the three versions, the red, the green, or the blue, uh, depending on what your school had adopted. And going along with that, you had a, a soft cover uh, bunch of labs. Um, and if you were if you were lucky, maybe you had a couple of other um, lab books that came from some other publisher. And so with that, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what you got started with. Um, and so you're right, there was no internet, there were no resources available to share, uh, to borrow, to steal from other people. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just think that, uh, back in the, back in the early nineties, when the internet first began, um, I just jumped in. Um, their web browsers were horrible. Uh, you you got a lot of information from FTP sites uh, and a University of Minnesota product called Gopher that there would be a little animation of the Gopher digging for resources for you. Um, and so I guess 
I just embraced that embrace might be a strong word, but I certainly adopted that way to dig for resources to make my, my classroom better. Um, my, I have kind of an interesting history with where I'm teaching now because I taught there for nine years. Uh, we moved from the Twin Cities out to a small rural community. Um, and I went from teaching AP biology and ecology to suddenly teaching eighth grade uh, earth science. Um, I was a pretty typical stand and deliver lecture guy and quickly found out after a couple of weeks, you can't lecture to eighth graders. You can't focus on content. Um, and at that point in time, I just, uh, I'm like, we, we need to work on process skills. And so we just, I just embraced the process of, of the nature of science. Um, and that really transformed my teaching. That was back in the middle nineties. Um, and so, so fast forward to a few years ago when I found a way to kind of push content out of my classroom so we could do more science in the classroom while I'm there being a resource. That's when uh, flipping my classroom, you know, creating my own, my own set of video series uh, with content and, and pushing that out of the classroom for the most part. You know, there's still a lot of content that happens in my classroom, but it certainly has freed up uh, a lot of time for... Uh, doing science. I mean, in graduate school, when I when I was in graduate school at the University of Iowa in the College of Medicine, uh, we we just did science. That's what we did. We had to do some reading, some background. You know, we had a model organism. We were working with quail embryos. <laughs> we 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 did science. We did lots and lots of science. And yeah, if we had questions about about whatever the resources were, or we needed to find out more information about myotube formation that was my jam back in the day uh then we went to then we went to the library uh mm -hmm. index medicus and we looked up things and kind of you know the science reader's guide to periodical literature students don't know what that is today but but uh and, and so um that's really kind of those are kind of things that have led me to really try to embrace my students doing a lot of biology in my classroom where I am with my blended classroom flipped learning. That's where it's at. Yeah. So you just used the word uh, blended classroom as well. So I guess the, the way you could think about it is you've uh, replaced a lot of the homework from that would have been, you know, traditional textbook questions or textbook outlines with, you know, getting some background information so that they're coming loaded to do an experiment, to build a model, to do that sort of thing. Is that a, is that a fair assessment or that's the goal at least? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And when I started doing this um, five, six years ago, I really talked a lot about the flipped classroom and how it's different. And now I hardly talk about that at all with my students. I'm like, this is just how my classroom works. Mm -hmm. This is how it happens. Um, I think when I started, it was pretty novel at the school that I was at. And now there are a number of teachers um, in other disciplines uh, that use it as well. So they see it elsewhere and they just recognize it. It's like, Oh, this is how I'm going to get my content or, you know, the majority of my content. It's going to happen outside of class. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the questions that we have. and We're going to discuss those things and kind of break it down some more. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, definitely it's just, you know, I think the acceptability of different ways to engage is just it's not the same as it used to be. So if you were doing something that was different, engaging the students in a different way, probably five or six years ago, you almost felt felt like you had to justify why your room was running differently than everybody else's, but there's a lot more diversity out there now. 
a lot more diversity. Um, you know, I, I talk to my students about how they want to learn anything. And the first thing they do is they go to YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, whether they're, they're online gaming or they need to replace the screen on their iPhone or whatever it is, there's, there's that kind of online community presence for, for information. Again, we go back to 1985 um, and I'm teaching chemistry, uh, you know, how do you memorize the orbitals? Well, you just memorize it. Today you ask Siri and Siri can tell you what the orbitals are for oxygen. You don't, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's a different way of thinking. And, and we have to be, I really feel that we have to be the value added proposition for our students. That's, that's gotta be our job. That's changed so much. That's changed so much in my classroom anyway, for sure. All right. So, so you mentioned this sort of being different five years ago, and it reminds me of the the article that was written up. I think that was the student paper that I, I linked to in the background uh, that was all about you and using your standard-based grades in your classroom. Um, and they, they talked about they it was it was I love reading a high school newspaper. There's nothing there's nothing better than a high school newspaper version of uh, explaining what a teacher is doing. Uh, but uh, sort of in that vein, it sounds like this may have been after or slightly after you moved uh, into uh, the flip model, you've moved to a standard-based grading model. So what led to the the change towards a standard-based grading model? Well, actually, I was pretty stupid, Aaron, because <laughs> I did it all at the same time. I, I tried to flip my classroom, uh, which included biology, uh, environmental science, and AP. I tried to do that as well as implement the standards-based grading, standards-based learning model all at the same time. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of an all-in guy. It's like I'm either I'm either it's kind of like being in love. You're either in love, or not. And so it's for me. It was kind of it was kind of like I'm just going to do this. You know, people say, well, you should just try one unit at a time. I'm like, no, I I I'm going to buy into this whole hog, and. Uh, and away we go. So the, the flipped classroom uh, and standards-based grading, um, I think my ideal classroom eventually, and I, I, I think I've made baby steps that way, to become asynchronous. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know, identify my learning targets. Then I provide students with resources to get there, whether it's the the online textbook an actual textbook or my video so they're getting some content and then i've got a smorgasbord of of uh lab opportunities that uh, that they can do to demonstrate uh the phenomena that they're reading about studying watching uh in the classroom and so the the whole business of the whole business of the standards-based classroom and the flip, you know, I think they work so well together because of that. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not at asynchronous yet. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I you know, eventually uh, uh, in the future, I want to get there uh, because why should my students, uh, this is a, this is a broad statement. Why should they just be lockstep with, uh, and, and, you know, you and I have students in our classrooms that, that learn at different paces. And why shouldn't we provide those opportunities for those kids that are ready to rock and roll uh, to, to move forward with their learning and move on to something else? So the, the standards-based, um, standards-based learning uh, classroom uh, 
um, I think really provides that uh, pretty well. We, you identify, again, you identify the learning targets and students just move forward through those learning targets uh, to the completion of your course. So when so does this mean that you don't have sort of traditional, you know, do you have your traditional tests with some retake possibilities? Do you not do tests and you do alternative assignments with sort of uh, abilities to improve and 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 rework assignments? How does how does this end up looking in the room? Right. That's the that's the big question everybody wants to know. <laughs> yep. Um uh I will say that I've gone away from so back in 1985, mm-hmm. at the end of every two weeks, there was a 100, 100 point multiple choice test because um, that's that's what I, that's how I was tested. Um, and then uh, today, uh, the only time I use, I'll say multiple choice is like informative assessments. Like let's just check quickly and see what you know. So here's ten questions about the digestive system. Do you do you understand how feedback works? Blah blah blah. Um, other than that, uh, my assessments uh, vary. I like my students to write. Um, it's hard to hide behind um, an essay question. Um, and I've really shifted all of my all of my uh, assessments to look kind of like what they're doing in class, which is lab work. Uh, they're generating some data, some evidence. They're going to make a claim. And they're going to write their reasoning. And so a lot of my assessments have that format, kind of that claim evidence reasoning or argument-driven inquiry, that kind of look. Um, uh, retakes and redos, yes. Uh, that scares a lot of people away. Uh, but then I'm like, no, it's not everybody. Some of the students are going to be ready to rock and roll uh, right away. They're, they're going to be able to do well on the assessment the first time. Um, and, but I do, I do do redos and retakes in my classroom. Those are often, we're going to sit down, uh, with a chunk of whiteboard, um, and we're going to talk. And that really is, you know, you can't, I mean, talking about, you can't hide with an essay. If you're having a conversation with a student, there's, there's no, there are no boulders to hide behind <laughs> when Mr. Peterson's asking you questions. Um, because it's going to be apparent and obvious that you don't know the material or that you do. Um, so assessments look a uh, wide variety of assessments in my classroom. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive back a little bit what you talked about going asynchronous. I guess for me, the goal with, with students is um, to make the asynchronous time, the time when you're not all together in the room, as valuable as possible. And right. allow students to navigate, but also at the same time to make the synchronous time as valuable as possible. So for me, like the the waste of time that that is the you know you might use the word stand and deliver. Me standing in front of the room and talking at my students is, and I and this year was probably the year the switch really hit. If I don't have my students talking to each other while they're in the room, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that's the wasted opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. the information that I'm presenting, there's nothing special about the information that I'm presenting in front of the room. Um, mm-hmm. But asking them questions and asking them to talk them out, that's special. That's synchronous. That's something that can only happen when we're in that room together as a community. So it's it's not just getting the value and allowing sort of that pace shift of asynchronous work, but also like really captivating the value of that synchronous time that they have. I, I 
agree with that too. So you've um, you've talked with Amanda uh, Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, we we went down to a school in uh, a different part of the state, and we watched a completely asynchronous classroom. Um, that was it was it was amazing in a lot of ways, but there was that part that you just described that was missing. Um, when you have the weight of twenty five students having conversation about a topic. I mean, I, 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 there's certainly a value in that because just like when you and I are having a conversation, we may agree or we may disagree, but at least we're talking about it. And if that conversation isn't happening, uh, we're not going to appreciate each other's points of view. So I, I, I agree with that. I mean, there are some, there are some points where I, I think it's, it's valuable to have the, the entire group of 25, 30 students or however many bodies you have in your classroom talking to each other and bringing those varied uh, viewpoints and understandings uh, together. Totally. I agree with that. Yes. Yeah. So that's a, it's one of those things that I, I guess for me, that's the, the, with the toys that I've been playing with and the, the strategies and presentation work that I've been doing um, the last few years that I found that, making myself stop and making myself, you know, when I do a check-in and rather than, um, and this is something I picked up a few years ago, if I ask a question and, you know, I've been using Plickers quite a bit this year. I don't know if you know the mm-hmm. Plicker cards. I've been yep. using Plickers a yep. lot over the last couple of years and I've been embedding multiple choice questions just like you you have. And I'll put a question up on the board, I'll put a scenario and then I'll scan the room. And basically yeah. if I don't get two thirds of the class on the same page, I say, all right, we're not on the same page. And I intentionally am keeping questions that will spark some uncertainty, spark some curiosity. I give them 90 seconds to talk it out and then I revote. Um, and yeah. then, and then we have a little dialogue and sometimes that's a point of reteaching and sometimes that's a point, but I always let them before any reteaching, before anything else, I let them talk it out and discuss and hear from one another and explain why they chose what they did and why they didn't and, and have that dialogue. And I found that that, you know, that's sort of the perfect example If I could give a, an online quiz or I could go asynchronous with that. But I think that the the challenging of one another's opinions and making them flush out these and have those conversations just like you said there's no place to hide um and i think even more intimidating than not being able to hide from me i think for a lot of my kids they they're very good at being wallpaper um in school (laughs) you know the the honors and the ap kids that i teach um making it clear to them that you cannot be a passive you know a passenger passive passenger throughout this day you have to engage, you have to talk, you have to listen. And it might not have to be with me, but it's going to have to be with somebody. Um, and I think that that has <clears throat> set a huge t- positive tone on the way my students interact uh, by pushing them in that way. Right. Right. So I use um, kind of a couple of old school things, but I love, so I go to the local lumber yard and I've got these chunks of, uh, it's bathroom tile stuff. So when I talk about my whiteboards, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and when they walk in the room and they see those on their desks, on the tables, they know it's going to be that kind of a day where they're going to have to model and they're going to have to raise their slate up to, you know, to, to show their work. Um, that's kind of old school, but I, I love that. And I also have uh, just uh, I have some laminated index cards that are red, green and yellow and white on the back. And there's our quick you know, like you said, with your plickers or whatever mm-hmm. kind of you're going to use, it's a quick formative assessment. You can see there's a bunch of yellow, which means there's not a lot of understanding. And again, that 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 goes to your your point of having that 
that weight of of uh, of the group um, that really can help identify so much misconceptions, understandings, whatever it is you're whatever you're trying to to get across. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um... I've been using I don't I've been using the whiteboards as much although I, I'm planning on stealing them from uh, one of my colleagues next year for some for some of that but I've been using the I've been using the chalk markers uh, this year so I've been having my kids uh, the chalk markers are designed you know to write like menus on chalkboards out in front of uh, restaurants sure. and stuff like that and um, sure. I've been buying them by the box usually buy them a dozen in a box and um, what I've been doing is I've been taking the thought questions that I would embed in my PowerPoint slides and like literally printing out my old PowerPoint slides and just putting one of the questions out on each of the tables and then using popsicle sticks because I'm an old school popsicle stick guy and I oh, would yeah. just I randomly distribute the popsicle sticks on the tables and that's their group and they have the, ch the chalk marker and they've got to come up with an answer and I give them a window of time and then I let them rotate through and read everybody else's answers with their markers. So if they want to write a question or do that, but they're doing it as a group and they're having this discussion. Um, and then I'll quickly go through. And what I usually do at the very end after they've done that is I go around and I pick one popsicle stick from each group member uh, from each group. And that's their spokesperson. Right. And then I will literally throw the PowerPoint slides up on that. You have our learning targets, as you said, um, you know, yeah. up there and I'll click through and I'll say, all right, group one, you got this question. Tell us your question. Tell us your answer. And then I'll do a little pause. And it's like, does anyone have any questions about this? So like, I'm not lecturing. They've come up with the answer. They've done that. The, the, the weight of my voice versus their voice has diminished in the room dramatically. But there is a point of accountability and there's also that space where if a kid has gone through and they haven't, they have that question, that question space is still there. Um, and I can do that and I can do six questions and get through that rotation and get through all of those. It would be the same six content slides that I would have lectured for 40 minutes on, 47 minutes on. I'm getting through that where the kids' voices are the ones that are dominating the room. So. Have you used the um, ad forms? No, uh not recently, I should say. As it, so, tell me about forms. Yeah. Well, so I, I haven't done it, but that's one of my. That's on my list of things for the summer um, to 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 take a look at. Um, you know, again, it's it, with you have a you have a group quiz or whatever, and you know they're they're scratch offs. Um, the group decides on an answer, um, or the. I, the way I've seen it done is that the kids take a quiz, then they get their answers back and they see what they got wrong or what they got right. And then they try to figure out, okay, what's the correct answer? And then you use that at, like as a group. And so they scratch off. And so if you get it right away, you get full credit. But then, you know, if you're like, okay, well, it's not that, then maybe it's A and you scratch that off and that's still wrong. So the value of your, of your, uh, and so again, it, it's kind of like, getting to an answer. So I, I want to explore that. Uh, I think I saw a YouTube by Eric Mazur, um, a physics guy from Harvard mm -hmm. who, who had endorsed those. And so that's, that's one of my, uh, one of my jobs, uh, for the summer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Eric Major, yeah. Eric Major is the, um, the end of lecture guy. That's sometimes right. that, that what he's doing that. The, can you like buy these? Like, I think if I remember, if I'm thinking of the right thing, are these things that you like buy like a chunk of them? There's like a, right. a giant, like you, you, it's a group of, uh, it's like you buy like a thousand of them or something like that for a set price. And the kids like scratch, it's like scratch tickets almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there are, I think you buy them, you, you buy it. So they have like different forms, like let's say A, B, C, D. And so when you set up your quiz group or form A, 
all of the answers are the same. And so that's how you know what the scratch offs are. Yeah. Um, I, I, they didn't, they didn't seem to be unreasonably priced. I think you can get quite a few of them for less than a hundred bucks. So I, they might be something that, um, that I'd look into. Yeah. Going back to your popsicle sticks, you need to have, we, we've always, we've all done the popsicle sticks thing. You need to get the paint stick with that one kid, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like, Oh, Timmy, it's your name again. You, know, you got the big paint stick. It's like everybody else has got the little pot. You got the big paint stick. Your name is chosen again. I'm, I love doing that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely have to. I have a, I have a handful of kids. Although my eighth period class this year, I think I probably would have like nine paint sticks. <laughs> Not that they're bad, yeah. but but I want to pick. Yeah. On them. I want to pick on them. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I, that's, yeah. That's brilliant. I definitely am gonna have to get one or two paint sticks for next year <laughs> and throw that into the mix. Um, uh, to do that. So, all right, cool. I got, and you're giving me tons of notes to add to the show notes for this week. So that's great. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, you, you sort of alluded to it. Uh, we were talking a couple of days ago when we were organizing this, uh, with this talk and you mentioned that you're going to ITSY conference, uh, later this month. So, uh, maybe tell me us a little about, I don't, I've never been to ITSY. So, um, maybe tell me a little bit about ITSY and then maybe what else is on your summer, mm-hmm. uh, agenda, you know, PD or otherwise. Right. So, so I've never been there. I've never been there either. Okay. Um, our, our building has usually sends, uh, four or five teachers, um, every year. Um, and I just have not gone this year or uh, up until this year. I don't remember why I didn't go last year. Um, I, I coached my little kids in baseball in the summer and I think there might've been like a tournament or something like that. I just couldn't go. Um, so, uh, you, you and I were talking about heat. I think, uh, the end of June in San Antonio, it'll be, it'll be nuclear hot down in San Antonio. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, uh, going down there. I, I love networking with people. I know I'm going to meet some people that, uh, I'm pals with on Twitter and, you know, to get a chance to spend some time FaceTime, literal FaceTime with them is always going to be good. Uh, we're, we're, um, adopting some new student information system, uh, LMS for next year. Um, and so I, I'm hoping we're going to be able to see some presentations about that and be able to come back and, and do some training for, for other, uh, other teachers with that. Um, you know, we're, we're done with school as of Friday, uh, June 9. And so starting on Monday, uh, June 12th for the next two weeks, at our high school, we host um, a summer learning institute. Uh, and so there are a variety of teachers from all over the Twin Cities metropolitan area that will be coming in. Um, there's some technology stuff. There's some relicensure stuff. Uh, there's just some great conversations to be had. So that'll really take me through the end of June. Um, I'm, I'm teaching some I'm teaching some uh, uh, some classes, uh, one about assessment, one about screencasting. Um, but I'm also uh, I'm also taking a course on mental health uh, in my in you know for high school students. Uh, so you know that'll be that'll be June. Um, those are kind of formal things, and then I have uh, I have a stack of books. Um, uh, Teaching biology conceptually, I think Lee Ferguson had uh, thrown that out last summer, and so I bought a copy of that at NSTA this fall. I'm looking forward to jumping into that. And then I have a number of books from 
uh, Marzano Labs about assessments, and I, you know, yeah. I, my list for the summer is long, uh, probably longer than the summer is. Hold this up for you. This is my, Mar- my Marzano uh, highly engaged classroom that's sitting here right on my stack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. What do I? How about this one? Becoming a reflective teacher. Uh, I don't know. That may, <laughs> been, that may be in the stack too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a whole. This is good. So this is by one of my advisors from college, Joe Krejcik, and. Katie McNeil about claim evidence and reasoning. This is for a five, eight, but I've adopted a lot of their ideas um, for my high school. I don't know. Yeah. Understanding by design from Wiggins and McTeague. I'm going to read that again. Uh, So I've got, I've got two summers worth of stuff, really, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like always the case. I'm, I, I, I'm. It's as you're starting to say these things this morning. As I was, uh, so this is Sunday morning. You know, we're talking, we're talking on a Sunday. It's a nice, relaxed Sunday. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. uh, I this morning got up and was having breakfast, and I worked on. I have my stack. I can see it from here. I've got a counter where I like to lay out all my grades, particularly when I grade like something like labs. I like to lay them out on the counter, yeah. just sort of work, walk through them. Um, I've got the reasoning sections of my last CER to grade uh, <laughs> over there. But I was grading this morning, and I was took a little break. I went through the the hack learning uh, uh, Twitter chat this morning, and just listen, you know, basically lurked in that. I don't usually post very much in Twitter uh, on those things, but I was lurking in that and really realizing, oh yeah, I never really actually read hacking homework i should really that should be on my summer list too like i'm I'm like i shouldn't be adding anything to my summer reading list at this point but (laughs) but that that one may be may get on there uh, as well so it's always it's always a tough time to to pare it down uh but it's i guess it's better to have too much too much going on than not enough well you know like i said the by the time i'm back from san antonio june is done yeah um and uh so i'll have july and then August, August is kind of like, and I think, I think all teachers will understand that it's August is like Sunday night. <laughs> you know, you got that kind of, okay, I got the week, you know, you're thinking about a thousand and, and August is kind of like that until you head back to school. And so August is, has that fun Sunday night anxiety. I mean, that I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, okay, what do we got? It's like, you just, your brain is racing. Cause you're like, I've got this to do on Monday and this is happening all during the week. And so hopefully during July, I'll be able to just kind of shut down for a while and just spend time with my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We go back, we go back late this year. So I know what you're saying, but I've got, we actually have, I, I don't know if my, uh, my wife intentionally does this, but we pretty much always go on a family vacation right at the end of July, beginning of August. Like she kind of gets me out so that I can't book, you know, professional development. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't book myself yeah. teaching somewhere or doing something or going into some yeah. lab somewhere. I got to take, you know, like a week off, uh, you know, end of July, beginning of August every year. Like I'm sort of forced to do that. And then, uh, and then I usually, I, I ramp up the way I always like to ramp up is I always take a week mid August and I do all of my letters of recommendation. And I find that, that oh, okay. that's like are my really nice. Cause I teach, teach a lot of juniors, uh, in my AP, APs, junior seniors. And so I always have a, a yeah. stack of, 20 plus or minus 10 <laughs> depending on the year and how the numbers go and you know the cohort yeah. but this year it looks like i'll have somewhere between 20 and 25 i think i find doing that during a week like just that's that's my school thing it's like a nice transition like you're thinking back reflectively you're thinking about the kids you're reading their 
um, you know, I have them do some work for me, but I also like will read their like course evaluations and look through their stuff that sure. they've done. And it's, to me, it's a really yeah. nice sort of reflection back on the year before I start up. It sort of centers me on the kid's voice of what was most important. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I like that's that. Sort of the, that's sort of my, that's my, so that's sort of my like late, you know, that's my Sunday morning, if you will. <laughs> Not my Sunday night, but that's my, and then I can transition into Sunday evening stress. Uh. <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. I like that. I, I don't have, uh, I teach mostly sophomores, but I did have a few of them this year. Um, kids that were juniors last year, like, Hey, Mr. Peterson, would you, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. So that's, that's a good idea. So I have a list. That's, I think, uh, I think I'll adopt that. That's a good idea. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I, I, it took me a while to figure out that I can't really write them in September. <laughs> but when I, when I first started teaching junior, it was like, you know, it's something you don't really think about when you transition. So when I was teaching mostly freshmen and sophomores, I never had to really write, you know, I'd have like the couple, sure. you know, one or two here or there and I could bang them out. And then suddenly yeah. I'm teaching, a group of juniors and it's like, Oh crap, I can't write 20 recommendations and to teach. Uh, that's just, just too much work. And it was like, I think it crushed right. me the first year I did it. And then this has been sort of a yeah. nice transition. Every year I sort of add another layer on to get a little bit more out of the kids to make the letter writing a little bit more personal and a little bit more, you know, connected. So, yeah. So, yeah, I started, I, I, I took some notes yeah. on yeah. some of my sophomores that I think are going to ask <laughs> me questions because two years from now I'm like, Sure. Uh, you were in my class and that's about as much as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I have them do it. I have them fill out a Google form for me. Um, and then I, uh, like, so this week I actually will conference with the kids individually and I'll just take a couple of little light notes, nothing heavy, but just enough that between the, the form that they write and then like a little sort of mental jog type notes that when I come back and revisit it, you know, two months from now, it'll be, it, it won't be too bad. Um, and most of these yeah. kids, I, I would say, you know, 75% of the kids I'm writing letters for, I taught as freshmen. So I had them as freshmen and they took chemistry as sophomores and then I had them as juniors. I, I know these kids pretty well. Um, yeah. they, this is probably one of the easier groups to write a letter of recommendation for uh, that I've had <laughs> in a while. Uh, in the upcoming years, you know, you've got, uh, we've, we've layered all of these things and we've talked about the transition of, you know, the pre-internet days to flipping your classroom and doing standard based grades and doing all of those other things. Um, what is what is up next? What are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Well, you know, it's uh, I'm not done. Yeah, you know, I I I've been doing this for for 32 years, and if I was doing the same thing 32 years ago that I'm doing today, or if I'm if I was doing the same thing that I was doing 32 years ago today, you know, take me out back and shoot me. Um, you know, through the course of my career. I've made transitions um, just every few years that whether it's moving to a new school or within the school to from high school to middle school and middle school back to high school. Um, so not that I ever, I don't really ever feel like I've completely mastered everything. And, you know, you have conversations with other teachers like, oh man, I've got so far to go. Um, but I just, I, I really want to keep working on that craft. Um, I have a daughter that's a fourth grader. That's my youngest, youngest child. And, um, I, I, sometimes I joke, I'm like, I think my wake and my retirement will probably be the same, the same, the same thing. So I just, I just feel like I just have to keep working and, 
and getting better at what I'm doing, you know, we, we are starting to learn so much about how people learn mm. that that information was not available um, at the beginning of my career. And, and just that has, that has changed uh, how all kinds of people teach, not just myself. And so, I don't know. I'm that Kaizena, the, the word means continuous improvement. I, I've, I've totally bought into that philosophy and I'm just trying to get better at what I'm doing every year. Yeah. I, you, you sparked when you said that, like learning about how people learn just sparked so many thoughts about all of the information we've had that's come out this year where people are talking about, um, you know, trying to change people's opinions or how do people hold on to their opinions in, in the, um, how basically we form these ideas about how the world works and how little we we take in and how hard it is to change people's perspectives once they've brought in right. and fixed on an idea um right and in truth we are we're hitting that at the very beginning you know we're helping students learn how to unpack ideas and how to build ideas and and do that work and so it when you couple all of the information that we have about the way people learn and the way people hold on to ideas and you think about what it is we do, it's um, sort of exciting to think about how we, how much impact we can have. Right. That's a, right. sort of the take home. It's exciting and daunting all at the same time. Really? Yeah. It really is. So I, you know, I, I, I know that like when I taught earth science and there were some students who at the, even at the end of the course, depending on how much we had done, they still believed that the phases of the moon were due to clouds. You know, it's like you, that adolescent brain is just stuck. And regardless of what kind of evidence we're providing, it's like, yeah, I couldn't move it. I couldn't move the needle. So, yeah, you know, if I had it's it's a good time yeah. to be in education. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely. I, I guess uh, I think one of those things that would be interesting is if you were one of those people who went in and thought, "Great, this is teaching. I'm going to go and I'm going to get my lesson plans and I can roll them out every year." Because uh, I think back in in 1985, and I can certainly say, you know, back in 96 when I started teaching, there, there probably were a handful of the the old veterans who that's more or less what they did. Uh, they rolled out the same lesson they had rolled out previous, you know, 10, 15 years. They really hadn't been a lot of change. Yeah. Um, I don't right. I don't think you really could get away with doing that now. Um, and I don't think most of the people, at least the cohort that we talked to, uh, would want to. So, <laughs> yeah. no, I totally agree with that. Yes, I agree with that. But right. In that in that way, I think it's sort of an exciting time because I don't think you're you're alone in, in looking to improve and looking to change. So I would agree on that. Yep. So. All right. So uh, we've talked a lot about teaching. Um, when you are not teaching, you mentioned coaching baseball. Uh, what, uh, what else do you like to do when you're not teaching? Uh, what, do you, what, what fills the, the days of Mark Peterson? Well, uh, you know, I've, I've, also, I've often wondered if I wasn't a teacher, what would I do? I, I, I like building things. Um, so pretty much in every house that I've owned, um, I've uh, done some work on it. Uh, really, I'm not afraid of anything, whether it's uh, electrical work or plumbing or carpentry or sheetrock. Um, I've pretty much done it all, so I like doing that. Um, I do like to play the guitar. Um, I'm not particularly amazing at it, but it, kids in my classroom laugh, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So... 
sometimes I can even get them to sing along. Uh, so I do like to do that. Um, you know, the, uh, I, I like spending time with my kids. Um, so I've coached, uh, all of my sons, uh, in baseball. Um, so, you know, between, between teaching and those other things, if, you know, if I have a project, refinish this or do whatever that, that occupies a lot of my time. Yeah. Um, it's all good. Yeah. You don't seem to have a lot of downtime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You go go all in on the things you do. You don't need you don't need the extra things. All right. Yep. So before we get to our picks of the episode, do you have any uh, questions for me? Well, yeah. So uh, you know the again, this is uh, this is pre nineteen or post nineteen eighty five. So things like social media, where where we get to make these connections from um, all across the United States and all across the planet, and then we kind of fall into. Uh, kind of some siloed ideas. So what's your take on um, Twitter as far as, you know, I, I, in my opinion, I think Twitter's kind of become siloed with like, there are these voices that are an echo chamber and that's all I hear. And whether it's uh, Twitter or Facebook or um, Slack or whatever it happens to be, what do you think about that? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I, I've, I've, thought about this quite a bit and you know i think we were i think you said to me that you got off facebook some time ago uh that you were like you were done with that uh, a while ago and i kind of sort of was nodding and and thinking about it i i guess what i i view all of these these things as sort of a tool and Mm -hmm. if you let like twitter just be your world like if all of the ideas i got about teaching and education were just from twitter i think that would be a problem and i do think that there are people who get into that sort of twitter bubble and, you know, that's that's sort of that's their professional development and they're not talking to people in their building, you know, maybe because they're the only the only science teacher around um, and maybe right. that's out of necessity um, or they they value the people they're talking to with uh, talking to on Twitter more than maybe the people who are around them. Um, I guess my question would be like, well, how much value do, do you put in any one tool? You know, um, I find Twitter to be really good in terms of teaching. Um, I do don't find it to be like the world's greatest place to get information about, you know, certain things in the world. Like I, I use right. it in very limited capacity. Right. I use it as my as a way to sort of see what a handful of voices of people who I respect. You know, we mentioned Lee Ferguson. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Paul. You know, we could talk about like a Paul Strode or or a Ryan Reardon right. or these folks or, you know, a Chi. Uh, and we talk about those type of people. I find that Twitter is a great place for me to hear what those couple of people who I have made sort of as my you know professional network around the country and around the world. That's a little place where I can you know send them messages, ask them questions, tweet at them, get a little feedback, and do that. But it's only one of the notes that I hit for how I work right. on improving my teaching. Um, right. So I, I I can see how it could be a very um, I could see how it could be a one note if just like, you know, we talk about anything else. Let's say you go and you do the flip classroom and the way that the only way your students ever get information from you was through videos. Like that was the only way they could get information from you. Um, That wouldn't serve all your kids. Like that would just be one note. Um, Or if all you do is you ask multiple choice questions. Well, then you're only getting one note. Or if you only ask essay questions or if you only it's like the same thing to me when I look at social media to me, it's one of those notes and you have to keep in balance. And so for me, it's part of, it's part of the way I get ideas. It's one of the ways that I take input in, 
but I only yep. let it have so much weight. Um, right. It doesn't, you know, drive me. It's sort of like the Twitter chats. Like for me, the Twitter chats are take it or leave it. Um, there's a couple Twitter chats that I find a little bit more meaningful, but I will tell you five minutes into a Twitter chat, I can tell you if that's not a topic that's going to spark me to reflect on what I'm doing, that mm-hmm. I don't stick around. Um, and right. I'm more of a lurker than a poster just because that's kind of how I am on <laughs> most social media. Um, similar deal for the, you know, Facebook, you know, like the AP bio teachers community. Um, I like to pop on there and read ideas and see what people are there, but I very, I very infrequently add things into that discussion. Um, it's not to say I never do or don't occasionally yeah. like a thing here or there, but for the most part, it's, it's my way of getting a little It's a way for me to step back and broaden my perspective a little bit so that I don't get caught up with the discussion that's happening in my room or in my school. And it's, a, it's right. another way right. of me changing my perspective. So, sure. you know. Think about it from a baseball perspective. You don't want to throw in just one part of the strike zone. <laughs> got to go up. <laughs> no, you you got to go down. You got to go in. Got to go out. Speeds, you got to do all yeah, kinds of stuff. Yeah, you got to keep yeah. them off. So I think, you know, for me, Twitter's the same deal. I, I, that's how all I right. view it. I don't know if yeah. that answers your question, but. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that balance is important, I think, uh, for wherever we're getting our uh, information uh, or to help us reflect and be better teachers, for sure. Yeah. Great. All right, so I almost feel like calling this uh, this uh, teacher hacks because this is that's more your wheelhouse. Um, because uh, going back to our old uh, horizontal transfer days, but uh, but I, we're gonna I call it picks of the week. So uh, what is your pick of the episode, uh, Mark? Well, so my my pick of the week is a uh, it's it's a little uh, a little widget um, uh, that I ran across a while ago for showing feedback loops, and so it's called a loopy. Um, that, uh, I've had my students use to, um, create feedback loops from everything from ecology to body systems to, um, it's a real simplistic way of, uh, of, of showing, you know, homeostasis within a big system or a small system. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, a uh, I, I like it because it's pretty simple. My students don't like it because they can't put pictures of stuff in there and just have to live with the model kind of idea. But once they get past that, um, they've uh, come up with some pretty amazing uh, feedback loops. Um, so, for example, we have this lake in Minnesota, Lake Mille Lacs, which is a huge walleye fishery. Uh, and so many things, it's, it's been a big controversial spot on the Minnesota radar because, um, of the population of the walleyes. Uh, and so, uh, students have created those kinds of things. Um, you know, like everything from the DNR to, uh, to sport fishermen to, um, you know, uh, zebra mussels to, I mean, just really, really cool ways for students to think about systems. And that's really what it's about. System thinking for sure. So it looks like you can, can you just put like a lot of different, could I make like a food web type thing on this? You could make a, you could make a food web. Uh, so you could take a look at, so as, as you play with the loopy, um, and you add and subtract things, you'll notice that the, the, the models, the circles get bigger or smaller. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a qualitative thing, not necessarily a quantitative thing. Although, you know, the size of the, the size of the, of the dot indicates an amount, mm-hmm. but you don't get any numbers with it. So yeah, you could, you could turn a, you could make it a food web where you had, 
um, you know, trophic levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can watch populations change uh, as inputs and outputs uh, that you started with or increased could change. Um, yeah, so I think it's pretty it's a pretty powerful yet simple modeling tool. And so once your kids build something on this, they can do you create a classroom or do they go in here, they build it and they like share it with you? They just share the link with me. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, so you can save the link as they just email me the link. Um, uh, they've had on occasion used uh, like screen capture tools and and captured the loopy doing what it's doing and turned it into a movie um, to be part of a presentation that they've done. Um, but just a real simple systems thinking tool. Cool. I could see lots of opportunities for that. Um <laughs> I'm definitely going to be totally distracted and playing with that soon. So, add that into- I've been watching your eyes, yeah. so I know you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you can you can see me on the video that I'm like pushing buttons over here. I'm totally a button pusher, so, uh, and mind going out there like, all right. So, well, because I have my students uh, as one of their. So in term four, uh, we do these, uh, and I, I don't know how long this is going to be the the way because we keep talking about reorganizing our uh, our units, uh, particularly how we teach our human body, but. Uh, I always have uh-huh. the students um, they in a group present a body system and then they select a disease that shows a breakdown in structure, function, homeostasis loss. Um, and sure. then we do it sort of as a survey. So everyone picks a, a system and a disease. They work together as a group to present the system and then they present their individual diseases. But one of the requirements we added a couple of years ago um, was to build a model of some aspect of the system. And, um, right. and, you know, you get a lot of, uh, soda bottle lungs with balloons and you right. get, but yeah. I, we've also got some really creative ones, but, um, and I've, I have added in more modeling from me showing models. Um, right. and as I've added in more models, the models have gotten better. Like as I've modeled modeling, the modeling is right. getting better, which is makes sense. Right, 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 right. But I will say that, um, one of the group that did their endocrine system presentation, which overall I thought they did a really, really good job. Uh, basically I felt like they just made a 3d poster. Like I thought it was like boring. Like I, I that's why I said to him at the end of the class. So like, how was it? I was like, it was okay. You know, I said, I said it was good. I said, well, maybe except for the model. I thought the model was kind of boring, you know, like it was just basically a poster that didn't, right. re- there was no interactiveness to it. And they, right. they sort of presented right. it as an afterthought. Uh, what, as I was looking at the loopy, I was thinking, Boy, if I introduced Loopy early in the year with ecosystems and and then maybe we yeah and so that they could play around with that and maybe we reintroduce it. There's a few other times where later on where I could see, you know, maybe adding in some population stuff and you know so maybe when we get into some evolution components, I could see maybe finding a yep. way of modeling it there. Um, right. I could I could see a variety of different ways that if we use something like a digital modeling that I just like you said they could do a screencast. And then embed that into their presentation, and that would be their model. And that that would be something different. Um, I'm not saying that I would right. push everyone to make them that way, but I think that it would provide another opportunity for students to, to to think of a different way of modeling. Right, it's a choice for sure, and I think it's a good. Uh, again, my, again, my students complained about. Well, I can't put pictures of wolves and fish <laughs> and eagles, and, and I'm like, we have to get past that and just recognize that models come in all kinds of different shape, different shapes and sizes. And this could be, you know, that example. Yeah. I, one of the questions I want to add to some of the modeling stuff I do this year is I would like actually students to tell me when they're done with a model, tell me the strength and the weakness of the model. Like, yeah. cause I think that that's, 
in some cases, I think that kids see models and they they become the structure. They, they become they they become exactly that thing. They become like we're showing the model of a sarcomere, and so they they view the sarcomere, but they don't think about well, wh- how does this model of the sarcomere not actually represent the sarcomere? Like, what is missing from this? You know, what is good about it, but what also is not good about it? And I think from a teaching perspective, yeah. when you show models, I'm always showing them in the light of how does this thing represent this model, but I don't help my students right. see weaknesses of models. And I think that's an important iterative process, particularly as we think about the, you know, the engineering aspect of right. the modeling, which, you know, and, I'm a biologist, right. so I don't think about engineering. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, but, but think about think about all the different ways that we are modeling things in our classroom for sure. We are hitting those NGSS uh, practices and, and modeling is, is, is huge. Yeah. Uh, so whether it's a mathematical spreadsheet or whether it's something like that visual thing like the loopy, it's still a valuable model to learn something about. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's a, it's a great tool. I, I now have at least... I, something that will keep me away from grading the rest of my labs this afternoon when I play with, <laughs> when I play with Loopy. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Hey, well, Aaron, what about you? Do you have a do you have a pick of the week? Yeah. So uh, thematic to having you as my guest, I decided that um, I would again going back to Chris Baker. He had posted this blog post earlier this week, which was called uh, Flipgrid or Recap. Which should I use? Um, and I actually went to this blog, and the blog is pretty cool because um, I was going through some of the old ones. Uh, the the title of it is uh, "A Lever uh, and a Place to Stand" is the is the blog, uh, and it's it's a, a science teacher. I, it looks like uh, she might be a chemistry teacher who does this, or definitely at least physical science. Uh, she has all in all of her blogs. She's got like a lot of stuff in there that I was looking. I mean, one of the other popular posts she had was Kahoot or quizzes, um, uh-huh. uh, rethinking note taking. Um, you know. Uh, isotopes make sense, which I imagine I know what that lab is, um, uh, using pennies of different age. I'm just guessing. Uh, sure. But this this sure. specific one, she built a um, a table that highlights two video reflection um, uh, tools. I know that you had mentioned you use Flipgrid with your students, um, and you were telling right. me about about that how you've used Flipgrid with your students to um, get some feedback about uh, the movie Gattaca or a deleted scene from Gattaca. Uh, yep and yeah so yeah go ahead yeah so the you know the Gattaca is a powerful movie in itself too bad it was panned back <laughs> in the back in the day by you know it wasn't science fictiony enough I guess um, and so there were some deleted scenes that are out on the internet that are I think a little bit more um, on edge uh, that really bring out some different things from the movie as far as choosing what your children would look like. Um, and so that's that was kind of the question that I posed to my students about technology and what's this going to do if this comes to fruition? Yeah. And so you did Flipgrid. And so I, I imagine, are you using the free version or are you doing the $65? I actually, I, I, I bought the $65 a year uh, once now, I used the the free one for a while, mm-hmm. uh, but with the Flipgrid classroom with the $65 a year, you can set up multiple grids um, and you just get more flexibility. And 65 bucks a year, I, I thought it was kind of something that uh, um, I would use pretty frequently. And 
Um, I, again, on my list of things for the summer, I've got a, uh, a list of potential Flipgrid topics uh, for next year. So starting to build into, you know, again, the future. Yeah. So I've been, um, I, I, since I, I was telling the story, I, I was on, I was online and I'm, I, I saw the one post and then I go and see your post next couple of days. It sort of came across my radar. Uh, one of the things that's sort of in my long-term uh, goals or areas uh, I think of as, as a weakness for me is um, really bumping up student voice uh, in my classroom. Like I feel like I do an okay job with choice. I feel like I give my kids a lot of opportunity to to choose like which path they do and follow up labs or investigations and and do that that sort of thing. And I think that I've I give them some degree of voice in group situations, but I I think I'm pretty it, it ends up being pretty much catch as catch can where I I still don't feel like I'm hearing enough from every single kid in my class. Whereas mm-hmm. even at the end of the year, as much as I've done to to boost up, you know, kids talking and and group situations and sort of engaging on in smaller scales, the engagement for me to hear the kids voice and really hear where they stand on things, um, use it sort of informative ideas, maybe even a little pre-testing, post-testing kind of voice. I still feel like I'm not there yet. And this, whether it's uh, Flipgrid, which which you use, this other tool is called Recap, which is another one that came across mine, which is, uh, as far as I can tell, very similar. Um, it doesn't seem to have the it, it's not as robust a software in a couple of other ways like um there there's a couple of things that you can't do like you can't embed videos um within an lms right. you can't upload a video you can't like a video um a couple of other little things here uh here and there uh but it, otherwise i'm i'm starting to play with it i'm having my senior my my rising seniors my juniors in ap uh respond to some questions so i can get some platform and also get some feedback from them um it's free. Um, that's the advantage of recap. Um, right. but I'm thinking that right. these types of tools, uh, one of going to one of these types of tools next year, um, and embedding these in my class a handful of times may help bolster that particular weakness for me, that student voice component. You know, the, the swivel, have you explored swivel at all? I, so I know about it a little bit just because, uh, they used swivel a little bit with, um, with the mentoring program that I used to work with that um, one of the software swivel was linked to like an iPad uh, video chat thing. So I, am a little familiar with it, but I have not played around with it in a couple of years. Yeah. So I, I previewed it. I guess the first place I saw it was uh, 2015. I drove to uh, British Columbia for can flip. Yeah. So the Flip, flip learning conference up there. And so there was a guy, Jason Bretzman, who's out of Wisconsin, and he he had his iPod, iPad, and he put it on this thing, and it followed him around the room. It was like the coolest thing ever. He has a lanyard, and I, that. So, um, I previewed it. It's and it's an interesting thing to do, you know, to follow yourself around the room and and help you reflect on what you're doing in your classroom. You don't realize how many times you say, you know, X Y Z or rock and roll, like I've already said today a couple three times. <laughs> Well, what I uh, what I found for that is uh, what I do is I uh, I record myself twice a month interviewing other teachers and I hear all of my vo- vocal tics, uh, and I've become so <laughs> conscious of them when I edit my uh, my podcast. I'm like, God, I use those same terms over and over and over. We all do it. Um, <laughs> we all do it. But yeah, yeah. I've I've actually I, you know I toy around a little bit with recording my um recording my classroom this year. Um, and it's been it's yeah. been good. 
Yeah. And so I, I definitely think it's it's worth it's worth doing it. I don't know how uh, did you get a, a price point on the swivels? Like my my perspective on it was they were a little pricey a few years ago. They're a little they're a little spendy. Yeah. They're a little spendy. Um, and they have uh, so the first time I looked at it, they just had like one lanyard, this this uh swivel thing that follows you around the room. Now they have multiple, um, you know, for more money um you know you can have like if you have groups in your classroom that could be recording simultaneously all of these groups um so i i think it has some it has some technology that looks kind of cool um but i think it was the the swivel thing was uh i didn't feel like i could justify it for my classroom yeah i know that they because we have a part of the the mentoring program that i worked with teachers um record themselves and then they would post them up for video observation with the mentor Uh, having worked as a mentor in the program um i've i've watched them and i've also recorded my own video and posted up so uh the new teachers i worked with could do it so i know that they played around with that a few years ago with one of the video softwares they tried um and you know it it I got that. There was definitely a cool factor and there were some people who loved it and there were other people who were like, yep, it's a toy, but I could just like put this thing on a static stand (laughs) and get it in a nice back corner and then just make sure I'm well mic'd. Um, And those are the really important things that the the toy part of it uh, wasn't necessarily, um, it wasn't for everyone. I guess I'll put it that way. They're definitely people who loved it and people who didn't. But yeah, I noticed that it was Swivel, um, the same company that that put that out there. So I don't know if that's part of their gimmick is they're hoping that um, people will want to buy the Swivels. uh, (laughs) They're going to, this is for free. You know, that's, we've all seen that before. This is free. And then all of a sudden now it costs something. So we've all seen that before. Yeah. But I I do, I definitely think for those people who are looking to add student voice, it's, it's got a huge value. Um, to, to add in video reflections by students and the you know like the flip, the flipgrid has done exactly that for me and i what i have when i have students and you can set the length of time uh for like 90 seconds and i had kids doing it a couple three times like you have a lot to say and uh that it, some of it has been really uh, to the point of moving i mean seriously i mean to it, it they're just pouring their heart into that because they feel so strongly about whatever the issue has to be. And that's just, that's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the value will come, I think, you know, like many other of these tools. Um, and I, you know, we mentioned popsicle sticks earlier and I can remember trying popsicle sticks early in my career and I did it and I tried it and it didn't work. I couldn't figure out how to make it integrate. Um, and like I could view that, well, trying with the, this, I, I think I have to sort of get into the mental space of figuring out how this Flipgrid or how Recap fits into sort of the ethos of what I want my students to do and then make it part of the culture. Um, mm-hmm. And I, the, I think that one of the things that's daunting for me about um, taking on something like this is there's two things. One, I, I don't know how far away my students' comfort zone will be to recording them some post, uh, recording themselves and posting it. Um, that that's going to involve right. a culture shift for the kids, uh, establishing norms. Right. Um, some kids really, it's going to there's going to be a lot of anxiety I think for some of my students. Yeah. But there's yeah. there's also a little bit of you know um, how how well am I going to be able to to manage and prep that on my end to help the students feel comfortable and feel like they have that voice. Um, it is a little bit of a, a question and, you know, not to use the word indictment, but, uh, like 
I think I've done a lot to move student voice and, and help students become comfortable. Um, I can see mm-hmm. that if I lo- ro- rolled this out, and if I had rolled this out two or three years ago, um, I would have had some students, while most of my students would have been fine, I would have had some students that would find this really an overwhelming crisis. And I think it's those kids that I worry about. Um, am I doing enough for those m- kids who feel the most vulnerable about you know, expressing themselves? And where's the, where's the right. tension with that? And, um, and I, making sure that I can build it into that, that safe space where I'm able to support those kids through the adoption of something like that. Um, not to say that mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. It's just to say that that's, that's the reflective piece that is in the back of my head. Um, I've got a kid right now who I, I can fairly think of that I think on the surface you would never come in and say, oh, this kid's uncomfortable. But I know I've had one-on-one conversations with this kid who is really a, the, the me using popsicle sticks to randomly call on kids raises a level of anxiety in the student that is, unhel- sure. is unhealthy. Sure. Um, to the point where, yeah. like, we had to have this talk where I told her that she has to come in. When she comes in, if you come in and you're not ready, if you're having an off day, just come in and let me know at the beginning of class, and I'll make sure I don't call on you. Um, and, you know, well, that's a, that's something that you got to build out and you got to learn, and it takes a while to right. get that comfort level. Right. We, we have to, you know, we have to be reflective teachers. We have to be aware of those students. Um, you know, the, the first two times I did the Flipgrid, um, students can respond to their own comments. I mean, they can respond to each other's within the class. Mm-hmm. The first two times I did that, I, I turned that off. So students could not comment on anybody's. They could watch them, but they could not comment. In other words, to make another reply. And I think I just wanted to make sure that everybody was feeling safe with it. Even after that, I, I, I have a couple of students who they just couldn't do it. And so I'm like, okay, then you just have to write your response. You just have to physically, you have to put this on a, on a document and you're just going to do it that way. And I was fine with that. That, and that was, you know, that's just the way they were. Yeah. So yeah, we have to be respectful of, of who they are as people for sure. Yeah, as you said earlier on this, this talk, you know, not all the kids are in the same place, but that's not just about content. That's not just about process. It's about who they are as a person and how comfortable they right. are in their own skin. And no time yeah. in your life are you less comfortable in your own skin than between the time you're, you know, 12 and, you know, let's say 27. Uh, <laughs> uh, 27's fair, yeah. 12 and 27, I think. You know, 27, 28, that I started to get a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. So I don't want to cap it too, too early on that. So, well, as as promised, uh, we've gone uh, nearly 75 minutes here. Um, <laughs> as I said, I thought, you know, getting together two teachers who – who uh, like to think back about what they do and are excited about what they do. Sometimes we get the time gets away, but thank you so much for joining me, Mark. This has been a great, great chat. Yeah, Aaron, it's, it's been good to, again, share some ideas. Uh, and it's always good to talk to other biology teachers. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So let me give you my quick credits here. Uh, music for this and every episode is provided by uh, Jank Jenkins and X Magicians. Maybe we'll have to start getting some uh, Mark Peterson parody uh, interludes uh, thrown in uh, at some point. Uh, you can uh, get this episode on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or really any other place that a podcast are found. Uh, you can get show notes on lifeoftheschool.org, or you can tweet at me at Life of the School or at Mr. Matthew Tweets, or you can tweet at Mark at Dassel, D A S S E L. Um, because uh, at Mark Peterson is taken, much to his chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tweet at Mark Peterson. Exactly. That's not him. Uh, 
That's not me. All right. So I hope everyone is enjoying the, the final days of their school year and uh, it's off to summer. And um, I do intend to try to keep a regular podcasting uh, schedule throughout the summer. Um, though I will tell you, uh, booking guests through the summer sometimes gets a little... Uh, a little tough, but I do plan on trying to do twice a month all summer long if I can. So I will talk to everybody soon. 